Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to podmeifyoucan.com. I'm David Farrell. And uh, today, despite the time difference, uh, we managed to interview uh, John Ratchford, whose film Cooped Up, which he wrote, is now available online. If you head to coopedupmovie.com, you'll be able to find um, all the links and uh, ways to purchase the film. It's on iTunes, it's on Amazon, it's on Google Play and Vimeo. We sat down to talk about, you know, his first screen credit, what it was like to be on the set of Cooped Up. Um, as well, if you head to the website, you can check out the poster. We, we make reference of it um, in our interview. We caught up and had a chat about Cooped Up. My name is Dr. Emily Mundy. I'm a medical epidemiologist seconded to the hospital. My name is Jake Ridge. I don't know what the f*** seconded or epidemiologist means. You've been exposed to an emerging respiratory coronavirus with a known fatality rate of over 90%. Elevated heart rate and high temperature will be the first symptoms. If you don't have anything like this, 21 days after exposure, then we know you're fine. What am I supposed to do now? Uh, welcome back. You're our first returning person on the podcast. That's got to be a big kick, first of all. Yeah, thank you. I, uh, I was looking at it, I didn't realise it was 2013. So how long have you guys been doing it for? Is it was 2013 the year you started? 2011, man. Yeah, we've... Um, Five years. Yeah, which we completely forgot to celebrate in any way on the podcast or in person or anything. Like, I saw Lloyd. He came to Melbourne. I said, hey, man, how's it going? And we talked, and we never acknowledged or said anything about the fact that we've been doing this podcast for five years. Yeah, so... Save it for the 10 year. Save it for the 10, you reckon? Yeah. So last time we spoke, July 4th, 2013, as you said, um, we talked about Project Greenlight and the whole experience. In retrospect... Do you think that opened many doors for you? Has it been a, a beneficial step on your journey, I suppose? Um, I don't know. I guess I, uh, I think for an Australian kind of aspiring writer, I don't think there are necessarily like kind of doors that open and you're through the door because the industry's just, I don't know, it just doesn't work like that. But I guess what it was good for was giving me um, a bit of motivation to and a bit of confidence, I guess, to, to keep writing. So, in the sense that it kept me writing, um, I guess it opened some doors. But in terms of if you're talking about like, I don't know, did it lead to opportunities? I'd say probably, probably not, just because the industry is probably not big enough for that type of thing. And I think in Australia, it's probably um, you kind of make your own opportunities. Yeah, I remember. I think it was the McRae brothers, was it? Who won Project Greenlight? Yeah, they won, um, and they made a film called *The View from uh, Greenhaven*, which is um, which is a, a good film. Uh, and then um, uh, one of them, Ken, I think, has gone on to uh, have a bit of a directing career in, in LA. Yeah, because I vaguely remember we were speaking to him, and uh, he was saying, you know, all he had to do was say Project Greenlight, and he would get meetings, and he was able to sort of set it up into all these meetings and stuff. I suppose, yeah, that's not necessarily the path. Um, no, I, guess, I mean, I guess if I want to be uh, if I want to step it back, I guess I suppose I was a finalist in Project Greenlight and then the script that I was a finalist with um, kind of got the interest of Paramount in Australia and then as part of that process I first met uh, Kane who, who is the director and producer of the film I'm talking to you about now. So I 
guess it kind of brought me into contact with a guy that uh, eventually, probably ten years later, uh, led to us making a film together. So yeah, I guess I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip flop. I'm gonna flip flop and say yeah, yeah did open a door. <laughs> okay, so well, let's jump on to Cooped Up. This is uh, the latest film. Congratulations, it's all finished. Technically, I suppose this is your first screen credit. Yeah, it is exactly my first screen credit as part of the Project Greenlight competition. There were some short films, but, but weirdly enough, with the format of that show, I was kind of directing and, and not writing. Um, and if you, you saw them, you probably see why Sam a writer, not a director. Uh, so yeah, this is the first kind of um, a written produced credit for myself. Um, must have been a very different experience because you flew over from London to be in the Blue Mountains for for the filming, correct? Uh, yeah, that's right. I um, I'm Australian, but I am kind of uh, I don't know. Came over to London for a couple of months and ended up kind of staying here, I guess, semi permanently now. Uh, but yeah, I came back to to be on set. And was back in the in the Blue Mountains. I don't know. I guess I've been away from Australia too long. I just didn't process that it could get that cold, uh, and I was freezing on set, freezing the whole time up in the Blue Mountains. But yeah, I flew back to be on set, and it was a really great experience. I was really grateful to the um, to Kay and the director for kind of letting me do that because it, it's not always necessary or, or wanted kind of thing to have the writer on set, especially if it was quite a small set, and he was good enough to kind of. Uh, let me be a part of the process, and that was really great. You didn't have to do any rewriting or change anything at all, I'm guessing? No. I mean, uh, sadly, in a way, I was kind of, it was kind of like, it was, it was great being on set and a privilege to watch the actors do their work. I don't know. It was kind of like, what's the most useless thing on a film set? The, the writer, I guess, apparently, because there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot for me to do. I think there might have been, you know, two or three times when it was like, can we, can we think of a new line here, or can we just tweak this slightly? But no, the actors were kind of dead on and Kane had done a lot of rehearsal with them. It was quite a kind of tight filming schedule. There wasn't a lot of room for, I don't know, kind of meandering or new scenes or anything. It was just kind of, let's let's stick to what we've got. And uh, Charles Cotier, who was um, Dexter on 600 episodes of Home and Away, plays your lead. I understand that he had a lot of dialogue to learn and that was probably his, in one of the um, Facebook uh, videos he did. He said uh, that was you know, the biggest challenge. <laughs> so retrospectively, you know, do you think you gave him too much dialogue or do you think... <laughs> I think you have to watch the film and decide. Um, no, I mean, the, the film, for, for people that don't know, is, is primarily a couple of characters and, and his character particularly, he just kind of cooped up, so to speak, in a house. So it is very much him on, on camera for probably 99% of the film. Uh, and I, I enjoy words, so probably did give him give him a lot to say. Um, I think one learning for me being on set was he was a good actor. He was very, there was a lot you could get from his expressions and his movement and his intonation and recognising that, yeah, perhaps sometimes things that seemed essential on the page, um, a good actor can kind of communicate without necessarily having to have... Non-verbally. Yeah, 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 that amount of words. So, I mean, that was good for me. So, yeah, it was an awful lot of words, but I don't think you'll hear many actors complaining that they had uh, too many lines. I think it's probably a nice problem for an actor to have. And he's in every scene, so, you know, that's great for an actor as well. That's what I was just going to say. I mean, it's a, it was a, it's a really good showcase for him. I mean, I wasn't overly familiar with his work on Home and Away. I didn't realise it was 600 episodes. It was kind of, uh, he was kind of, kind of new to me, but, like, he, I, it was funny because I was kind of told he was on Home and Away playing this kind of, funny goofy kind of quirky young guy uh and he really underwent like a physical transformation for this role when he really beefed up and i got on set and i was like this just jacked up guy there and i was like where's this skinny home and away guy people been talking about because he pretty big in the film it was just like a i don't know just a real credit to him a really good 
a good performance, but just that physical transformation was very impressive as well. Yeah, you don't hear about too many Australians doing that for Australian films. You know, you hear the Christian Bale bulked up for Batman's or the, you know, uh, Jared Leto's. And, you know, I suppose credit to him here. Um, I haven't Googled much footage of him as Dexter, but I did see some episodes uh, just through osmosis. And 606 is the count on IMDb if anyone's playing at home. Yeah, so uh, the choice to have him as a wrestler, where did that come from? Yeah, I was trying to think about that before, before I came on. I suppose I mean, where, where, the, where the story came from, it, it's about a guy who is, um, comes in contact with an infectious disease and the health authorities kind of quarantine him to, to a home, so he's in home isolation and I think that was the kind of first, first thing I came to when I was thinking about the story. So I've heard, I heard this idea of, of medical isolation and the fact that you may not necessarily be in a hospital. Sometimes you're just told to stay in your home and not leave your home. And I just thought that was such an interesting, interesting concept because when you think of kind of, I don't know, exposure to deadly viruses, you kind of have this impression it's going to be in a gleaming white hospital and, I don't know, machines and sleekness. And you know, sometimes people are just kind of sent to their home and told not to leave for 21 days. So I thought that was an interesting setting. And then just trying to like shape that into a story. Who would be a person stuck in a home? Who's that a bad situation for? And then I kind of heard an interview with a, um, with a professional wrestler. Uh, and he was just talking about because of his lifestyle. He was literally on the road for 365 days. So he kind of purchased a home for tax reasons. But he hadn't actually set foot in it. And it was just kind of starting to put those ideas together of, okay, what if someone's kind of forced in home isolation, but really it's not actually their home and then kind of you have some fun with they're kind of stuck in this place but equally this place isn't familiar and it's not necessarily the things that I mean like I don't know if I was stuck in a home for 21 days that'd be great I'd be on the internet I'd be on tv so he kind of like needed a character who was kind of like a fish out of water and, and stuck in one place when he wouldn't want to be and it kind of from kind of thinking about who's who's on the road who doesn't necessarily have a home and it was that kind of wrestling thing and and then that started to just feed some new stuff about I don't know, wrestling is incredibly physically damaging and then I kind of fed into stuff about this infectious disease being damaging you as well. It just, it just kind of, uh, I don't know, it seemed to fit the story. Stephen Peacock, he came on the set for one day, I believe. Did a bit of a cameo? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's very much, the story is very much about um, Charles Cordier's character uh, stuck in the house and his only interaction with, is with the doctor who comes to see him. But through the magic storytelling, we got kind of uh, an extra character kind of popping in. Um, and then Stephen Peacock was good enough to play that part. So it's a, it's a small but kind of crucial and, and quite a fun part. And it was, um, uh, yeah, it was, he's, I mean, he's a, I don't know, I guess you'd call him a major star. He's in some big Hollywood films and he kind of pops up in our, in our little film. And it was, uh, again, a privilege to have him in there. I mean, technically you're now like a couple of degrees away from Tina Fey, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, think, I remember someone on set asked him about what was like working with Tina Fey. And here's some insight golf for you. He said she was a very nice lady. So that's a <laughs> exclusive uh, scoop. scoop for you that uh, Tina Fey is a, is a nice person. Well, you heard it here first, and pardon me if you can. <laughs> Were you after a film that took place all in one location because of um, the need to shoot it all at once? Is that something you worked on with Kane? Um, I think when Kane kind of... Uh, came to me kind of like he, he kind of made the decision that he was going to make a film and he, he just wanted to get it done and he'd been a bit like myself in that he's kind of done a lot of filmmaking and, and short films and he's had some near misses when it's come to features and I think he kind of just decided now's the time I'm going to make a feature and he kind of came to me with that and we'd had a feature that we'd kind of worked on together for quite a while and it was a very kind of extensive kind of big comedy I guess with lots of locations and lots of characters and it was a script we loved but I don't know, it was just kind of thinking like, 
is this is this achievable? Are we going to be able to? And then I kind of it starts really appealing to the idea of let's just do something new, um, and rather than trying to redo what we've already been trying to get done, let's start something new. And it was kind of like let's start something kind of small and interesting. And then it wasn't necessarily like we want to make a one location film, but the story kind of informed that. As weird as that sounds, so it's kind of like okay, this guy is in in medical isolation for twenty one days, and there were some early incarnations of the script where we kind of got outside the house and we, we you know found reasons to get him out but it just didn't it didn't feel kind of true to the story the story was like it's a guy stuck in one location let's let's stick to that and that's we kind of brought it back to that so it wasn't necessarily for kind of budget reasons so much as, as story reasons uh, and I will say as a writer it was actually in a, in a weird way it was really good to have that constraint once we decided actually okay once he's in the house he's going to stay in the house because then suddenly you had to kind of find fun ways to work things around. So it's like, okay, we stuck him in the house. He doesn't have a phone. How does a person get a phone when they're stuck in a house and they can't leave a house? And it's like, okay, who's going to steal a phone? Who's he going to steal a phone from? He's going to have to steal it from the doctor. And how's he going to do that without coming into physical contact because of risk giving of the virus? So it's just uh, we, from kind of constraint came creativity is probably the wanky way I'll say it. <laughs> Catherine Beck plays your female lead, the Doctor. She's from Wentworth, among other things. How did you find writing for a female character? Like, uh, was she happy with the dialogue? Were there any changes in the lead-up? No, there weren't any any changes. I suppose the the tricky part of her character is she's playing a Doctor, and I probably did. I probably ended up doing too much kind of epidemiological research and, and fell in a little bit in love with all the kind of uh, the facts and information about transmission risks and epidemiology, and she's probably got quite a lot of uh, kind of wordy scientific language but no it was it was it was fun to write a, a, I don't know I, I saw it as writing a writing a, a scientist I guess rather than writing you know a quote-unquote female character it's just kind of who is this person and and how does their perspective as a scientist bump up against this guy who's a pro wrestler and that seemed like an interesting contrast so it's just kind of playing with that contrast and wasn't me as a man trying to like interpret what is this female character thinking? It was more just kind of let's make an interesting character and then let the actor kind of inhabit that and, and decide how they want to do that. And now Cooped Up has been accepted into the LA Comedy Film Festival, so Juliet must be loving that. That's your wife. I was figuring she would be, you know, pressing on you to go to the LA film premiere. No, I think uh, for financial reasons probably probably won't make it over to LA, although it'd be nice. So no, but I mean, it is, it is, it is nice to be able to say that we've got this film and it's you know, premiering uh, in in Sydney and in LA, kind of cool, I guess. And there's some some other cool films are playing at the LA Comedy Festival. There's something with like uh, kind of J.K. Simmons and Sarah Silverman, and I think the other films got kind of like Ed Begley Jr. and Elizabeth Guest. So it's kind of nice that our our film with you know basically Charles Collier's in some good company, I guess, with the other actors he's going up against at this uh, at this festival. And uh, it's available now online, so video on demand. We'll be able to put the link on Facebook, and uh, people will be able to um, find that in the description of this episode. I heard about Kane selling the family home to finance the film. Is there any pressure now for this to be successful? Uh, or is this, you know, um, I, I was surprised. It, you've got to admire the kind of put your money where your mouth attitude that he has here. Yeah, I mean, it's um, he's a very kind of dynamic uh, personality and he's he's kind of uh, forced this film into being so it's you know it's it's fun for me for the writer to talk about character and the story and motivation and stuff but then this guy has come along and just said right what do we actually need to do to reality and he's gone ahead and done it so 
I mean, as the writer, he was the dream partner to have because he wanted the film to exist. He's made it happen. I don't know. I mean, I guess everyone puts kind of pressure on themselves. Pressure on themselves for for the film to be for the film to be good and be well received. I don't know. I guess it's just we just want to have a good reaction and we want people to see it and 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 to to like it. I mean, it's a it's a strange film in the sense that it's. I've been trying to find ways to describe it to people, and uh, I don't know, like uh, other stuff I've kind of written previously, I can normally say, oh, it's this meets this, or it's like an Australian version of this, whatever. This is like a very particular, very strange, very unique kind of film. So I guess we're not too sure, but I mean, the people and the couple of reviewers we've had who've seen it so far have been very positive. So we're hoping, I don't know, we're hoping the people who do see it, it really connects with them. And last time you were on the podcast, you weren't married, so I've you know, sort of thought I'd ask if being married has affected your writing habit at all. Is is Juliet cool with you just sitting down at a computer for a while? Or yeah, no, I don't think it's made much much of a difference. To be honest, I mean, the way I write is I I uh, I, I work a day job. I have to work a day job. Uh, but I've been fortunate enough. My last two day jobs have both been in places that have libraries on the um, kind of on the locations. So I normally go to the the work library and just work there on my lunch break and. Uh, the funny thing about work libraries is no one ever seems to use them, so it's normally just a big, big empty space. And uh, I find that I do more kind of in that hour lunch break than I do in two or three hours at home, if you know what I mean, because at home I've got lovely distractions, whereas at work there's really nothing to do but kind of focus and write. So, uh, no, I guess I normally kind of write on my lunch break, and then if I'm that, like get some momentum, then start to work on the weekends. But that's really where I kind of back at story, I guess, is... Um, a kind of hour every day at work. So you literally coop yourself up at work uh, to write the script, and then you guys literally cooped yourself up in a cramped place in the Blue Mountains to make Cooped Up. Yeah, it was really, uh, was, yeah, very <laughs> kind of living experience. It was, it was a very uh, small film, uh, sorry, small uh, location that we shot in, and then we had kind of for independent film, we had quite a decent sized crew, so it was kind of like a lot of people in a very very small space, uh, which you know hopefully kind of informs the film I guess and comes across but yeah it was uh, it was a very tight production I just wanted to ask as well then about uh, the cartoon poster you know you and I used to work together at the film at the cinemas and I can't remember any film that's ever sort of had a, a specifically kind of cartoon poster the way cooped up does can you think of any just top of your head no, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of like a throwback, I guess, isn't it? Like, kind of like 80s kind of films, or uh, it feels a little bit like, you know, sometimes you see, like, uh, there'll be, like, the Polish version of the Back to the Future poster, and it's just like a kind of a cartoon that's kind of strange. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it's different, but I mean, um, I kind of, I kind of, I'm looking at one now, I've got one on my wall, and uh, it's kind of grown on me, and I'm actually, I really like it, because it's kind of like, this film's, it's quite unusual and it's quite different and I don't know, I guess it kind of makes sense to let's do something a little bit unusual with the poster. So uh, Kane commissioned this kind of Russian artist uh, called Phil Dunsky um, and he kind of put it together and the first time I saw it I was like, I'm not sure about this and then I was like, actually this is pretty awesome and I'm kind of hoping that's the same reaction people have to the film maybe. Yeah, well I mean wait and see, like people can get it right now and check it out. Yeah, I suppose I was, I was thinking about some of the Star Wars posters have more of a cartoony look or more drawn look to the, the characters sometimes. But yeah, I was I was sort of interested in the thinking behind that. But yeah, the throwback, like you said, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess Kane just kind of commissioned this guy and, and, and let the guy do his thing. And um, I don't know. I think that's it's weird. It's going to sound weird. I think it's kind of credit to 
Kane's kind of style as a director and a producer, he would kind of get interesting people and get people in their place and then kind of guide them and then let them do their thing and get something interesting out of them. And that happened a lot in the film, in the way that he worked with the actors. And I guess it's kind of um, led over into the kind of post-production and the marketing and he's kind of got this cool Russian artist on board, giving him some guidance and they've kind of ended up with this uh, kind of weird, kind of obscure, kind of cool kind of poster. Would you say that like now that you're a married man, elements of your relationship or in-jokes, do you put any of those into your work or actual elements of your relationship into the fictional relationships you're writing? No, not, not, not intentionally, to be honest, because I think, I don't know, the essence of good fiction is what, like, kind of, kind of drama and, 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 and friction, uh, and uh, I'm afraid I have a bit of a dull, boring <laughs> kind of uh, home life, so... No, I think probably purposely try and distance myself from from my own home life just because it's probably not particularly interesting to anyone but myself. So no, this this film, I don't know. It's almost like the first few things I wrote were probably heavily based on on my own, not necessarily my own life, but just kind of very closely linked to things I liked and the way I saw the world. And then I think as I've got older, you start to distance yourself and kind of write in a different way and kind of write. I don't know, like just more creatively, I'll say. I'll, like, that's what I, like. I guess I'd say that. I'd say I'm a probably better writer now than I was kind of 10, 11 years ago. And now if you, it's, it's not necessarily clear that oh, this is some autobiographical detail. It's more about this is a creative, interesting story that I've tried to come up with. I've just finished reading Neil Strauss's book, The Truth, which is about marriages and uh, a lot of stuff. I won't get too into it, but of course he's written everything, almost everything autobiographically and it's, um, you know, become his style so I guess now your writing style will not be autobiographical <laughs> like you know One Night in Canberra was perhaps. I guess I guess you just write about what interests you and so when I was 21, 22 what interested me was like kind of going out and having a crazy night and you know crazy stories and stuff uh, and then I guess I guess what interested me in the writing of this was um, medical epidemiology and the way we perceive deadly viruses <laughs> a dash of uh, the life of an independent professional wrestler. So it's kind of, uh, I don't know, just you, you get, yeah, it probably happens to everyone. You get interested in some weird random thing and you get obsessed with that for, you know, a few months or a year. And then I guess my way of dealing with it is just to write about it. And then I'm sure whatever I get interested in next will inform whatever I do next. Yeah, well, I was going to ask what you're sort of working on, if you can tell us if it's a mash between something or give us some clues. No, I mean, I'm definitely looking at doing something again with, with Kane and Charles and kind of doing something, I guess, comedic again, kind of taking advantage of Charles' kind of comedic talents. But I don't think we're at the point yet to kind of say it's going to be story X or story Y. Kind of do something, I guess, with the same team, but maybe do something a bit bigger. Do you work as any with any um, specific software as a screenwriter? Yeah, I use... Um, uh, well, actually, what I did with this one was I bought, like, a really kind of shitty little kind of knockoff iPad thing, like really the cheapest one you could get, and then with like nothing on it but like a weird knockoff word program. Uh, and then I kind of wrote the story out on that, and that worked well for me because it's like I didn't have internet on there, I didn't have any distractions on there, so I had this little thing on there, and that all it was was for me to write. And then once I kind of had that draft finished, went over to my normal laptop and just wrote it up in final draft, uh, which, you know, nicely formats it into, into script format. It was, yeah, more helpful for me to have like this just small little computer where it's like, I can't do anything on this, but write a story. 
if you're in with my main laptop, I'm watching Netflix or watching football or you know doing different things on it. And it's kind of hard. Distracted, yeah. Yeah, it's just harder to switch focus. I'm a big believer in like, um, uh, I don't know, you get yourself in the right kind of place in the right state of mind and you're like, okay, this is when I've got this thing, I sit down and I write. Whereas with my normal computer, it's like, yeah, I'm doing everything on there. So it's a bit harder for me to write on it. So tried to do it all on that other one, just in, you know, like a word kind of document. And then when it came to actually quote unquote writing scripts in Final Draft, it was just more a matter of typing than actually having to work any story through. And you're like content to work solo as a writer. Do you think you'll ever collaborate with people? Yeah, I guess never say never. Yeah, I mean, I like, I guess the reason I like to write rather than direct is probably my personality. I'm a bit more... Uh, I guess in my own head, I guess, or, or, you know, introspective. So, you know, I like to just kind of work something through myself and then present it to people rather than kind of, you know, work something up together. But, you know, never say never. And, yeah, always open to, to trying out new things. Cool, man. I'll work on my pitch. Yeah, well, I mean, what, it must be coming up to, what is it, the 10 years? Did you say on Facebook it was a 10-year anniversary of your film? Is that right? Yeah, well, 10 years ago, I put a link up. 10 years ago, I was sitting at the premiere of my film, yeah, November... 6th, 20, 2006, sorry. And then the wrestling film came out in 2008, also in November. So the wrestlers have actually been talking to me a little bit. Here's a scoop about doing a sequel. Though I'm not really sure there's much of a demand for it. I think it would be funny to do like a the middle-aged and the wrestlers or, you know, old and the wrestlers sort of thing uh, and just touch base because a lot of people have families, health issues. Uh, there's There's been uh, progression with a lot of them, so... Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds really cool, man. That was a that that documentary you did about Perez was actually really fun. I hadn't even thought about it to now, but I maybe wonder if any of that kind of bled across to <laughs> the character of Jake in his film, who is also a kind of indie Australian pro wrestler. Because I remember you doing all the all the interviews and all the filming of those guys, and there were some interesting bunch of characters. Yeah, and uh, for those who don't know, uh, John and I were housemates when I was actually editing the film so I would often be sitting in a common area going look at this scene I just did and uh you know seeing how it played so I guess yeah there was a little bit of wrestling there as well but I mean you and I have both watched wrestling I suppose you continue to watch wrestling to this day uh well no I guess what was weird for me is like I watched it when I was like a teenager uh and I don't know I enjoyed it but like it's I don't know almost like a sarcastic teenager on like an ironic level so you kind of you're watching it, but you're also kind of laughing at it and stuff. And, and I don't know what happened, maybe like seven, eight, nine years later, I just came on TV here in England and I was kind of watching it again. And I was kind of like, oh, I remember that guy from back in the day and oh, here's that guy. But then I was like, well, what happened to that guy or this guy? And you look it up and like some of them are dead. And you're just like, it's, it was weird kind of thinking about it more as an adult, realizing like, okay, these guys are like real people. And pressure is actually pretty, pretty intense and uh, it does have kind of like can have pretty bad outcomes for some of these guys or at least it has historically and I think that kind of probably informed part of the character thinking about the idea that this thing that's kind of fun and a bit wacky and we all kind of make fun of actually for the people doing it is actually pretty intense and doesn't always have great outcomes for them and it's a pretty like hardcore kind of lifestyle uh, so I guess it's kind of exploring something that fascinated me as a kid up against like the reality of it and understanding a bit more about it as an adult and recognising that like that's how these guys make a living, kind of putting their bodies on the line. So, uh, yeah, I guess it definitely was, yeah, informed by an interest in pro wrestling, but just kind of that that weird shifting perspective where watching it as a teen, 10 years and nothing, and then kind of picking it up again and just kind of seeing it in a different light. Yeah, I mean, the wrestler starring Mickey Rourke sort of covers a bit of that too. You sort of see the aged wrestler, you know, who's been beaten down and, uh, 
Yeah, I think that was a really good film. I could actually play it as a double bill with The Young and the Wrestlers once. Oh, yeah, that would be a cool combination. Yeah, no, I like. I really like that film, The Wrestler. I guess this is kind of coming from the other end, which is like, you know, Charles is playing a young guy kind of on the cusp of like making the decision to commit to this lifestyle and you're kind of, I don't know, not sure is this going to lead to great success for him or is this not going to end very well for him? So that's kind of... Uh, that's one of the questions the film's trying to answer. I was thinking as well, like, um, you know, one of the great thrills 10 years ago when my film came out was having a physical kind of DVD copy of it, you know. Um, is there going to be any physical editions of Cooped Up or is it going to be strictly online? Yeah, I guess I know. So I thought about that. I think, I guess nowadays it's all pretty much online. So, I mean, we're coming out on, um, uh, it's going to be on iTunes and Amazon and uh, Xbox and Google Play. Uh, and Vimeo, so it's like a bunch of different formats, but I don't think DVD has been one that's been mentioned. So, no, I think unless I like bootleg it myself and uh, <laughs> onto a DVD, I think I'll just have to be satisfied with the uh, the poster on the wall and the, the digital download somewhere on iTunes. Well, now I know what to get you for Christmas the bootlegged DVD of Cooped Up. Yeah, just be out there selling it at the markets or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't it's It's funny, like, I'm you know really happy it's coming out and people can have a chance to see it, but it, it's weird, like, I don't know, like when a film comes out of the cinema, you can kind of be like, okay, this film made X amount of dollars at the cinema. But in terms of uh, video on demand downloads, that information seems to be kept pretty, played pretty close to the chest. It's kind of hard to find comparative information about how films have done on, on video on demand. Yeah, Netflix are like that too. They don't really release the statistics on how many people are, say, streaming a show. But then, you know, they spend millions on new content, so it's working for them. And I guess we, we hope that Cooped Up, uh, you know, reaps some rewards, uh, whether it's professional or financial. I mean, I think this sounds like it's going to be, you know, a next step in your journey and you guys are going to work together on maybe the next thing. So uh, congrats. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm, yeah, I just hope, I mean, uh, I, I hope people are going to watch it. I hope they enjoy it. If they don't enjoy it, I would love to be able to read why they don't enjoy it. So, you know, if, you're, uh, if any of your listeners watch it and hate it, then, hey, that's cool. Just as long as you can kind of comment somewhere telling us why you hate it, I'd be I'd really, really interested to see. Yeah, well, what's to hate at this stage? You guys can check out the trailer on YouTube and um, then purchase the film on, you know, iTunes and everything, uh, Amazon, as John mentioned. The cinema releases in London, just to wrap up, um, are they hugely different to Australia and the States? Do you get films way later or way earlier sometimes? I don't know. I think it's probably, I think it pretty much aligns with what's going on in, in the US, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I can't don't notice any huge dramatic difference. I mean, the last film I watched was oh, what, The Girl on the Train, which I think you guys reviewed a couple of episodes back. And I think I was, sure did. I was kind of agreeing with a lot of the thoughts from Lloyd on that one, actually. Lloyd, uh, for those who haven't listened... Did not enjoy The Girl on the Train. Uh, I read the book, he didn't read the book, and he saw many of the twists coming and also found it to be of the quality of a midday movie. Yeah, uh, we, were, we were pretty critical on our friend The Girl on the Train. I guess I wouldn't be that. I guess I wasn't that critical, but I just, but I just was like, yeah, it was, it was okay, but I wasn't kind of blown away. I thought it was a real solid kind of like five, six out of ten, ten film, and I was, you know, based on the trailers and stuff, I was kind of looking forward to like a really, really kind of cool kind of adult thriller. It wasn't... It didn't quite match up to those expectations. Yeah. So well, what film are you looking forward to, you know, rest of the year, early next year? What, what's on the horizon that you're like, I'm going to watch that at the movies? Oh, I don't know. Uh, cooped Up, maybe. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll have watched Cooped Up. It's out today. I roll over, roll over Cooped Up. Passengers, I think, will be really cool. I think that's a really kind of interesting idea. And, you know, the one with... Um, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, yep. And I guess the two people, uh, quote unquote, cooped up on a, on a spaceship. Yep. <laughs> 
There's a Australian film called Porno that I kind of want to see. I don't think it's made it out here yet, but I'm kind of keen to see that because I've heard really good things about about that film and so uh, I might have to try and see if I can get a copy of that online I've actually done a review of porno it's on our YouTube channel one to watch when you um, actually see the film yeah I'll definitely do that and maybe uh, it sounds like I've got a a follow up to your documentary to look forward to as well well that's a big question mark at this stage it would probably involve me going to Canberra for a while Um, being in Melbourne that uh, would pull me away from work and family so at this stage, it's an in-conversation thing, but feel free, people, to um, hashtag Young and the Wrestlers 2 and uh, really let me know that there is a, a base for it out there. Uh, so Cooped Up, available now on video on demand, uh, lots of platforms. Looking forward to seeing it myself. I'll have to get it because it's out today. We'll probably talk about it on a later episode of this podcast, whether it's in passing in some episode or whether we dedicate a full episode for you, John, and point out everything we did and didn't like about it. Yeah. I don't know if you want that kind of feedback. I have to say, purely objectively, I think you should definitely dedicate a whole episode, if not maybe like a whole series, I think, maybe like five or six-part series about the dissecting every every aspect of it. It's probably the, the way to do it. Well, thanks for spending another hour with us here on Pod Me If You Can, and we will look forward to hearing what your next project with Kane or Chris or independently of them is and uh talk to you about it then yeah no thank you very much mate and uh thank you very much for having me on i hope you enjoyed that interview with john ratchford on podmeifyoucan.com Head to coopedupmovie.com to download the film and um, we might talk about it on a future episode of Pod Me if you can. You can find all of our back catalogue of interviews and podcasts at www.podmeifyoucan.com. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews.